morning, Next Level Church. I am so glad that you are here today. Welcome to part two of our Act Now series. And we are just fired up that we get to start our new year with an incredible, incredible series. And I have just someone amazing that I cannot wait for you to meet. I mean, I've been excited about this Sunday for literally four months or so since we put it on the calendar. Uh, many of you know we're a part of a, uh, an association of churches called the ARC, the Association of Related Churches. And it's a church planting organization that uh, gathers about a hundred or several hundred churches together who have a vision to plant 2,000 churches by the year 2020. And you guys know we do a lot of church planting, coaching, and you know, working with a lot of guys. We've introduced you to several of them. Well, inside of the ARC, there's also some guys who are, who are peers of ours. And a few years ago, I got connected with a guy named Peter Haas, who pastors Substance Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And Peter and his wife, Carolyn, have just become amazing friends to Sarah and I. And uh, I'm just, I'm so pumped that he is here uh, to, to speak with us today, to connect with, I, I can't wait for you guys to get to know him, for him to get to know all of you. And the truth is, we kind of feel like we're living uh, like a dual life, like a parallel life, because... Uh, well, number one, when you get to hear this guy speak, you'll probably see a lot of similarities. But secondly, my birthday is June 15th, 1975, which not enough of you were writing down right there. Come on, seriously. J- June 15th, 1975. You got it. There you go. Peter's birthday is June 16th, 1975. He has two little girls. They're eight and five. Well, the five-year-old just turned six yesterday. I have two little boys who are eight and five. Five, and then he has a third son who's Eden, who's, who's young, but no, 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 don't pray for me, don't, no, it's not even funny. So anyway, you guys, I'm excited, uh, Peter Haas is just an, a phenomenal pastor in the Twin Cities, and, and a phenomenal friend of mine, and we are just doing life together, and just love being in ministry together, even though we're separated by uh, lots of miles and Lots of weather differences. What's up, Florida? Woo! So anyway, you guys, uh, this is part two of our Act Now series, and we're talking about how we do life together, why we need one another in this series. And as we kick off our new year together, uh, Peter is literally wrote a chapter, wrote the book on, so to speak, connection groups and small groups and doing life together. So without further ado, Next Level Church, will you let Peter Haas know that we're glad he's here? Love you, brother. Love you, too, what is up, Next Level? I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm fairly highly caffeinated, and so if you thought he was a little bit excitable, you know, I, I was reading a blog about our church, and this guy was blogging about our church in Minneapolis, and he goes, man, I love the church, but man, I don't know if I could handle listening to that guy. He jumps all over the stage all the time. It just makes me dizzy. And of course, I thought, I wonder what he would think if he knew that I was reading his blog and he didn't know that. And so anyway, if you're a little bit dizzy today, it's okay. We'll, we'll get you there. Uh, but anyway, I'm so blessed to be in Florida. Did you guys know that you live in Florida? I mean, we walked off the plane and it was like, it was like 58 degrees. Woo, let's go swimming. Okay, so we're just like, we're excited because where I come from, man, it's like, you know, it's really cold. I mean, really cold. We got snow everywhere. And, and don't get me wrong, I love Minneapolis, but there's a reason why the Minnesota Twins come down here to do spring training, okay? And so anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be able to represent here from Minnesota. And, uh, of course, I, I live, uh, the church we pastor, it's right outside of downtown. We're north of downtown Minneapolis. And so, anyway, so when I heard that the twins practice right across the street, I'm like, no way. So you guys are extra special. Be good to our team, okay? Would you do that, please? Okay. Oh, I'll tell you what, before I jump into the message, I'll, I wanted to give you a little bit of background. Uh, believe it or not, I didn't really grow up in a Christian family. In fact, I, I actually grew up kind of, I was like the crazy guy who, uh, in fact, I, I started dating my wife, who I didn't really, I didn't understand uh, she was a Christian when I started dating her, but I guess her entire church was praying for her because she's hanging out with this awful guy named Peter Haas, who's going to totally bring her down. So, okay, that was me, Peter Haas, hello. And, of course, I, I was kind of a, a crazy guy. I used to have dreadlocks uh, all, the way, all throughout college. In fact, I, I had hair so long, I could, uh, I'd put it in a ponytail and I could tuck it into my belt. Some of you are like, oh, you had to have been there. It was the grunge time, okay? Just, okay, I was cool. Believe it, okay? Um, Actually, I was a rave DJ, believe it or not. And uh, I would tour nightclubs and raves all over the area, all over the Midwest. 
uh, just do, you know, spinning with my turntables and, uh, you know, living the lifestyle. I was so messed up and I really didn't understand Christianity. I thought I did, but what I understood was Christian ritual. And so I didn't want anything to do with it. And whenever anybody would try to share Christ with me, it would be like, no, 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 no. I don't want any of your dumb philosophy that's just going to steal fun out of life. Okay, that was, my, that was my approach towards Christianity. In fact, I, I actually, believe it or not, I boasted at a party that I could talk anybody into depression, even a Christian. Because life has no meaning. I mean, seriously, life has no meaning. What's the purpose? You know, oh, so you, you get married, you make money, and then you die. You know, like in my mind, that wasn't enough. And I, I felt so depressed about that. In fact, I, I, I once had a Christian come up to me, and they challenged me. They're like, well, hey, you know, Christianity isn't all about ritual. You know, you can actually pray and ask God to reveal himself to you. And I'm like, what do you mean reveal himself to me? Like, you can pray and say, God, I pray that you'd show me the right way. And so one night I was working at a nightclub, and of course, I was just depressed out of my mind. I'm looking down on the dance floor at all these people that were just drugged out, drunk. I mean, and, and I thought, what a miserable group of people this is. I mean, what's the purpose in life? This is so lame. And, and even afterwards, I'm thinking, what am I going to do to kind of drown out this, this, this feeling of what's the meaning uh, after I got done working that night? And so all of a sudden, that thought came into my head from that one Christian who said, you can ask God to reveal himself. And I thought, all right, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask, to try to do that. So in the DJ booth, this is literally what I prayed. I'm like, God, whoever you are, whatever you are, if you were powerful enough to create the universe, then you should be powerful enough to show me what religion is the right religion. You know, and if that's Islam, then, then somehow... Lightning bolts across the sky. Islam is the way. Whatever you have to do, you know, because I figured, come on, seriously, if he's powerful enough to create the universe, the, the whole universe could not have spontaneously arrived out of nothing. It's flat out unscientific to think that we exist without a cause, without a creator. And so I thought, there's got to be some sort of powerful being out there. And, and you know, so I'm like, is it Islam? Is it some other religion? Whatever religion, God, show me. Do it, do it miraculously so that I know it's, it's you, right? And so I kind of prayed that prayer, and like I snapped out of it. You know, like when you have like those deep moments, and I'm like, what am I doing? I'm praying. I need a, I need a cigarette, right? That's what I thought. And so then I, I thought, I put on a dance mix, and, and mind you, I'm in the nightclub, okay? I'm working in the DJ booth up above the dance floor. I put in the mix, and I was going to have a smoke break, and so I, I'm walking out of the, the DJ booth down the steps, I'd taken about 30 steps from the DJ booth, and this total stranger randomly walks up to me, grabs me by the arm, and he says, I know this may sound totally bizarre, but I feel like I'm supposed to tell you that Jesus has a plan for your life, and he wants you to follow him. Okay. Need I remind you, I'm in a nightclub. And I had just prayed that prayer like 40 seconds earlier. And this guy literally is coming up to me seconds after I prayed the prayer, telling me in a nightclub, Jesus has a plan for your life and he wants you to follow him. I, 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 I wasn't even in control of my body at this point. I was like so freaked out, right? And so I grabbed the guy and I go, what did you just say? And so, th so this time he kind of said it a little bit more feverishly. It was really an awkward moment. Jesus has a plan for your life and he wants you to follow him. <laughs> And like, I, I, I literally did not know what to say. The words leapt out of my mouth. And I, this is what I said. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. Because he had no idea that I just prayed that prayer. I mean, for me, this was a radical God encounter. I was, I was almost having an out-of-body experience. I was so freaked out. And, and I go, so I go, tell me what I'm supposed to do. And of course, he looked at me like deer in the headlights. Like, uh, what do, what do you mean? You know, like... I'm like, well, you're the one who's supposed to know the answers. You just told me about Jesus. And like, and, and so he's kind of like thinking, you know, I, I didn't, you know, he was just a Christian out telling people about Jesus. And, and like, you know, and, and so I'm like, tell me what I'm supposed to do. And he, is, he was like, uh, I guess we could pray. And I'm like, yeah, okay, let's pray. And so, he, you know, because he was thinking maybe I got to debate with this guy or, you know, like I got to go through some sort of, you know, 
conversation. And I'm, I was ready. I was like fruit falling off the vine. And he goes, uh, uh, let's pray. So he sits me down in the nearest booth right there. And okay, mind you, I'm working. In, you know, I, the, my dance mix is going on in the background, right? This is my smoke break, okay? And, uh, and so he, he goes, just grab my hands across the table. And I grabbed his hands. And he said, repeat after me. And just, I repented of my sins right there in that nightclub. And that was it. I was gone. For that, from that day on, I've been hardcore for the Lord. In fact, I freaked all my friends and family out because all of a sudden, Peter Haas is going for Jesus now? What's that all about, you know? And, and, then, and then when I heard that all my wife's friends were praying for her because she's hanging out with this horrible guy named Peter Haas. I mean, God, that's irony, my friends. You know, all of a sudden I become uh, passionate about God and passionate about the ministry. And I'll tell you what, uh, the reason why I shared that with you today is because I believe that there are some of you who are here today and you're kind of skeptical about all this Jesus thing. You see, I was not indoctrinated into Christianity. I had an encounter with God. And what I'm about to tell you, I don't, I don't want to indoctrinate any of you into Christianity. I want you to have an encounter with God so that you too can know for a fact that this is not a philosophy amidst philosophies. This is a relationship with an almighty God who created the universe, who wants to show himself to you. And so hopefully by the end of today, you're going to have that type of revelation in your heart. And so I'll tell you what, as we go into the message, I wanted to begin with a question, and it's this. How many of you guys always had a secret desire to be like a superhero? You know what I mean? Like, seriously, I mean, like, like as a kid, I, I grew up, I, I, I idolized Superman, right? And how many of you guys have heard of, like, underoos? You know what underoos are? You know, they're un- it's underwear, superhero underwear. I don't know, whoever thought of that idea, I don't know. But anyway, and so I used to run around in my underoos, just kind of dreaming, what would it be like to be Superman, you know? And this is like three years ago. And, uh, and so like I, I was, you know, I'd run around and, and it was always a, a, like, Lord, it would be so cool to have a super strength, you know? And, and I think that secretly all mankind wishes we had some sort of supernatural power. We dream about it, and you know how, how I know? Think about how many superhero movies there are. Think about how many comic books. I mean, this is a cultural phenomenon. We love to dream about what would life be like if we had supernatural power. I think there's something in us that knows there's more for us and that wishes that we could accomplish more than we could accomplish with, our, with what we currently have resource-wise. And you see, I believe that God actually placed that in our hearts to lead us to Him. Because in Scripture, the Bible says that God actually has given us a supernatural power. And I'm going to talk about it. It's called the power of agreement. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, verse 18. The power of agreement. And again, it's not x-ray vision. It's not the ability to fly. But it's still pretty cool, and we're going to learn about it. Matthew 18, Jesus is telling his disciples, and you know he always gets serious because he always says this. Whenever Jesus gets serious, he goes this, I tell you the truth. In other words, you want to know something about heaven that is absolutely certain? What I'm about to tell you is absolutely certain about the way God operates in his universe. Matthew 18, verse 18, I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Whoa. Wait a second. What if the Bible is true? Think about that. That's a pretty radical promise. Let me read that again. Verse 19. Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For, and here's the reason, the justification, verse 20, for where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. In other words, God's very presence is, 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 is there when two or three people come together in unity and welcome God. In other words, there's something bizarre that God has placed on agreement with other Christians. And, and don't get me wrong, yes, you have power as an individual Christian in prayer. And so let's say you're a Lone Ranger, Ranger Christian out there by yourself praying. There is a certain power in that. But the scripture also says there is a unique power that is only present when two or more come together in his name. God has purposely 
placed a supernatural power that, that necessitates agreement with other Christians. That you don't get by yourself. Only in two or more will you get this type of power. And this is very interesting because I would like to postulate to you today that some of you do not have all of the power that God has intended you to live with because you don't have the power of agreement. Now, uh, for example, uh, maybe in the Old Testament, for those of you who are Bible bandits, right? Are there any Bible bandits? You know what that is? You were in Sunday school and you won like Bible trivia contests. Come on, come on. All right. In the Old Testament, there was something called the, 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 the story of the Tower of Babel. Okay? And it was in Genesis chapter 11. And the story of the Tower of Babel was all about mankind coming together to try to basically say, hey, we're equals with God. We've got something special and we want to prove it to God by building a tower into the heavens for our own glory. Okay? So this was a, this was a wicked act of defiance towards God, right? But listen to what God actually says about these people. And this is, this is, at first when I read this, I thought, wow, what a weird compliment for God to give to wicked people. But listen to what God actually says. He compliments them. And he says, Genesis eleven six. the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Wait a second. God is saying this about wicked mankind doing things apart from him? He's saying, if they're all in unity with one another, speaking one language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them? Wow, what a compliment to sinful man. It, see, it says something about how God created us. He created us to have a unique type of power in agreement, whether we are in sync with him or not. And so it begs the question, imagine how powerful we could be as Christians with the God of the universe on our side working with us. Well, no wonder Jesus said, anything you ask for in prayer will be done for you by my Father in heaven. And maybe you're here today and you're like, well, okay, Pastor Peter, that sounds like a neat little scripture verse. And and maybe you're like a Christian and you're like, I believe that in theory, but that's about it. Well, I'll tell you what, I believe that there's more to Christianity than you and I currently experience. One of the unique things that I've been able to do in in just over the last, you know, 13, 14 years of ministry, uh, I've been able to travel the world and, and preach in churches all across the world, and I've, I've spent a large amount of time helping to plant churches in in uh, Middle East, in Egypt, in Pakistan, in uh, in Eastern Europe. I've been into the Far East as well, Thailand. And, and one of the unique things that I found about Christians outside of Europe and the United States is that they they naturally believe in miraculous Christianity. The miracles of the Bible are very easy for them to believe. And yet, and the question that they always ask me every time that I'm over there is, why is it that Christians in the United States they believe in a Jesus who literally resurrected from the cross, and yet they deny all miracles of the Bible as for today. Why is it that they believe in a literal resurrection, and yet they won't pray for one another to be healed? Why is it that they don't ever see demonic deliverance in the United States? Why is that? And of course, I always tell them, well, listen, you have to understand, our church history, the last 300 years, is very, very rational and very philosophical. And, and so we have a very bizarre form of Christianity that, that really takes Christianity and puts it on a level playing field like a philosophy, as though that's what it is. And so we, just, we, we look at Christianity as just another philosophy among many philosophy religions, right? And, and it's not like this living, breathing invasion of the Holy Spirit. But you have to understand, God did radical miracles. And so when I was, when I was, in, when I was in Africa, I believed in the power of agreement in theory, but I had not actually seen it in practice. And of course, uh, I was in this one remote village where there was no medical help for half of these people that lived in this village in Ghana, West Africa. And a woman came up to me in her late 30s, totally blind. In fact, she couldn't, she couldn't see anything. And her, her sister, had, she... she Uh, she had her hand on her sister's shoulder and they came up to me and they said, hey, listen, we believe that your Jesus can completely heal me. Would you pray for me? And of course, in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm glad you believe it. I don't even know if I believe it. You know, like, you know, and we were evangelizing there and I thought, wow, you want me to pray for you, for for your blindness to be healed? And they're like, well, your Bible speaks of this. Like, why would it not happen here? And of course, in my mind, I'm like, 
yeah, why not? You know, and, and so I'm thinking, this is weird. I've never done this before. And I, I was spooked. And so I'm like, hey, she wants us to pray for her to be healed. And, and, and so I'm kind of like, okay, you know, like, let's just throw up a Hail Mary, see what happens. You know, if nothing happens, I'm going to America. You know, what do I have to lose? You know, like, and so I'm kind of freaked out, right? Okay, and I, I'd never seen this. We started, we laid our hands on her. We started praying for her. All of a sudden, she started shrieking and screaming. And, and she put her hands over her eyes, pulled them off, put her hands over her eyes, and started running in a circle around the village. And of course, everybody in the village were, was completely blown away. She was completely healed on the spot. And it freaked me out. I want you to know, it totally freaked me out because when you see that Christianity is not merely a theory or a philosophy, it changes you. It's, it's not just a theology you can either accept or deny. It's an invasion of spiritual force that you either, you either accept or you live in denial of the rest of your life. You see, the power of agreement is real. And in fact, just as another example, I, I heard a story come out of Zimbabwe in 1999. You can still interview these people. Uh, it was the story of three Botswana uh, bushmen that decided they wanted to pray for their country to experience revival. And so they, they, what they would do is they'd go to these witchcraft shrines and they would pray over them. They'd pray for the power of God to fall in those areas that had different tribal religions because they wanted their own countrymen to experience the power of God, the, the creator of the universe, God. And so they're praying over these places and what they would do is they'd go there and they'd start worshiping and then they'd repent before God on behalf of their people. But the, the key attribute here is they were in agreement with other Christians, okay? So they and a group of other guys were praying. And so they went to this place called, uh, called Mount Injaleli in Zimbabwe. It was a, a very remote region, but it was, it was notorious for witchcraft. In fact, witchcraft was so popular there, they had four huge temples built on these mountains. And, and people from all over the country would come to this area to seek advice from these witch doctors, and so, and not just anybody, but I mean, even well-known politicians would regularly make uh, uh, pilgrimages to these sites to receive advice from these witch doctors. And so what they did was they, they went to the very root of these religions and they started worshiping God. They were like, God, we need you just to reclaim this. Just let your power fall here. I pray that people would understand who the living God is and that they'd see it as potent and relevant to their lives. And so they just started worshiping, repenting on behalf of their people. And of course, right after they had finished praying, they're like, okay, let's move on to the next place. They hopped in their car and literally within minutes, this is totally bizarre, Lightning ended up somehow striking all four of the temples and they all lit on fire and burned to the ground. Like, no lie, this actually happened, okay? They, these temples burned to the ground, just, and, and nobody, nobody knows how in the world. Well, I mean, what is the, 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 the odds from a prob- probability standpoint? They burned to the ground. So these guys, these bushmen that just prayed, they were like freaking out, like, oh my gosh, you know, like, what did we pray? Uh, you know, did you pray like consuming fire prayers or like, what happened? You know, like, they're, they're thinking what just went on. And so these guys have all of a sudden this holy reverence for the Lord, right? And it's kind of like, like in Acts chapter 5, God struck a couple down, killed a couple in church, okay? In the New Testament, you read the book of Acts, God did radical things. And when he did that, the Bible says, and fear of the Lord fell upon the whole region. Well, that's exactly what happened in Zimbabwe in 1999. And this is just the beginning of the story because what happened was one of the major, one of the most well-known witch doctors throughout South Africa came to that region to investigate, you know, could we actually rebuild these big shrine sites? Because, you know, again, he was a major proponent of his religion. And, And what happened was, is the moment he started investigating it, there was not a cloud in the sky, not a storm in the region. And somehow he was spontaneously struck with lightning and died. Okay, this literally happened, okay? This was in the news, and and everybody's freaking out in the region about this. Okay, so now, with this in mind, let me just read to you just what happened after this. And this was just the beginning. Since then, 19 of the other 20 top leaders who have visited the site have strangely passed away. Only a short time after the well-known witch doctor was struck, the area was also struck with unprecedented storms. The storms were large enough that CNN World News began to cover the story. 
Torrential rains were so strong that many other remaining occult sites and witchcraft training centers were completely washed away. And ever since, the locals have been awestruck by stories of the Most High God. And like the Ephesians of Acts chapter 19, the fear of the Lord has fallen on the entire territory. Of course, right now, the entire region has enjoyed unprecedented reawakening to the gospel. In neighboring Mozambique, tens of thousands of Muslims and other non-Christians have since accepted Christ. And of course, uh, many of you guys know that neighboring Uganda has been undergoing a similar transformation. You see, what I'm talking about today is not just a, hey, let me encourage you with a little uh, theoretical promise from Scripture. I'm telling you about the power of God, the kind of power that God wants you to reckon with today. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, great, sign me up. It sounds really exciting. How do I get this in my life? Well, again, you cannot get this on your own. It requires intimate relationships with other Christians. You can't be a lone ranger and experience the power of agreement. And so thankfully, you know, if you're asking today, what does this look like? How do I live this out? Well, James, one of the apostles, gives us a clue when he wrote about this same power, the power of agreement in James 5.16, just, just listen to this really close. I want you to gather this, okay? Because this scripture, maybe you've heard this before, but I want you just to listen with fresh ears again. James 5.16, he writes, Therefore, in light of all this power, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Let me just stop there again. What does James say? He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another, not to God, he says to one another, right? And pray for each other so that what? You may be what? So that you may be what? In other words, what results in healing? Confession of sin mixed with prayer. You see, I wonder how many people have not received healing for certain issues, simply because we have not actually obeyed what the Bible has said that results in healing. Healing is preceded by confession of sin to other people and prayer to experience the power of agreement working on your behalf. This isn't you confessing your sin to God. And, and see, it, it, what's really interesting is that this is a verse that I, I don't hear a whole lot about in American church culture, mainly because, you know, we pride ourselves on independence. In fact, our entire culture, we, we actually think of that as a value. We're independent, okay? Whereas rather than valuing interdependence, we value independence. And I, I think that we're missing a lot of the power of God. There's a reason why American Christianity is becoming the third fastest group of unbelievers. It's the slowest form of Christianity on the earth. One of the slowest forms of Christianity on the earth. Right now, there are more missionaries being sent from Africa to America than vice versa. There's a reason for that, church. We're lacking something. We're missing something in our, in our spiritual walk. And, and, and a lot of people, they like to think of confession as something that you do between you and God. You know, like, for example, in that private moment, you know, like when everybody's into worship and some people have their eyes closed and some people have their hands raised, then we confess our sin. Oh, God. I'm sorry for that last week. You know, you saw me last Tuesday. Sorry about that, you know. Okay, we, we think of it as a private thing, but listen, almost every time the Bible teaches about confession in the New Testament, it's in the context of fellowship. Think about that. You see, a lot of people don't like confession of sin because, you know what, let's, let's admit it. That, that makes us uncomfortable. And, and there's certain sins that, you know, I'm cool with, confessing, you know, like you're with a group of guys, yeah, somebody caught me, you know, cut me off the other day, and I kind of cussed at them, the other guys are like, ho, 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 you know, it's kind of funny, you know, like, we can relate to that, and, uh, but then, you know, there's other sins that are not as easy to confess, like, you know what, guys, I'm addicted to pornography, or, you know what, some, some of you gals, you're, you're out here today, and you've got eating disorders, and you just feel like you can't share it with anybody, you feel like, you know what, that's something I can't share with other people. It's too vulnerable. And let's face it, confession of sin is a very vulnerable thing to, to do. And for me, uh, for many years, I actually struggled with certain sins. And I always prayed, God, I pray that you would somehow supernaturally touch me at that mountaintop experience. I just need, in my mind, I thought, I just need another worship experience. You know, maybe if I cried more tears, all of a sudden the power of God will come upon me and I'll have willpower. 
you know, but it wasn't happening. And so I'd make New Year's resolutions and then I'd break them. And year after year after year, I'd be like, God, why do I not have traction? And, and the Holy Spirit would speak to my heart. And it was so plain and simple. Because you have not obeyed my word. James 5.16, confess your sin to another person and receive prayer. That's powerful and effective. Because, but I didn't want that because that was too humiliating for me. I wanted to somehow figure it out on my own. And as a result, year after year after year after year, I wasn't really changing. I pretended to change. I acquired Christian knowledge, but was I changing? No. That's all I was becoming. I was a Bible fathead. I was becoming a hypocrite. You know what I'm saying? James even said it in James chapter 1 that hearing the word can actually be destructive for you if you are not applying it. Why? Because you're deceiving yourself. You're pretending to change. I come to church every single week. I listen to sermons all the time. Who cares? That doesn't mean you're changing. You think you're changing. You see, I think a lot of times in American culture, we equate knowledge acquisition with spiritual transformation. Oh, two totally different things. In fact, you and I are the most highly educated Christians who have ever walked the earth in all of Christian history. We have more access to more Christian information than any generation who has ever walked the earth in all of church history. But does that change us? No. You see, I would say, for some of us, we're missing the power of agreement. And and, and knowledge, I don't think knowledge, think about it. I'm not convinced that knowledge is your and my biggest problem. For example, every last one of you knows how to eat healthier, right? Does that mean you do it? Come on, everybody. Lettuce is good. Potato chips, bad. You all know that. I mean, seriously, you all know what healthy food looks like, right? Does that mean you eat it? No, right? We all know. Exercise Sitting on the couch all day. Bad, right. See, you know a huge amount about what makes you healthy. That does not mean you do it. You see, knowledge is not your problem. And so what happens is, but we think, oh no, that's, what I, that's my problem. I just need another sermon. And maybe this sermon is going to all of a sudden stick with me and I'm going to be like, oh, now I can change. I've got willpower, right? Or maybe I just need more scripture verses machine gunned at me. Well, the Bible says that, listen, Jesus said in the parable of the seed and the sower, that the Bible, God's word is like a seed that can be thrown on the soil. But just because you have God's word thrown at you does not mean it bears fruit. It's all about the context. That was the whole point of that parable. Is that you can have the same quantity of God's word machine gun at you and it won't make any difference. You need the proper context. You need the proper soil content in your heart. You need to be able to do something that will give you traction. And I would like to say, what if that was the power of agreement? What if that was confession of your sin and receiving prayer from other people. You see, in fact, the stats actually bear this out. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm kind of a skeptical guy. I come from a skeptical family. My, my father was a PhD, in, in, had a degree in science, and so he was kind of a natural skeptic. When I came to Christianity, I, I kind of got that same DNA. You know, like when people come up to me with different stuff, I'm always like the skeptic. Prove it. You know, I'm kind of a natural doubting Thomas. And so, uh, but I read a study by the Gallup organization that they did it in late 2004. Listen to this. They found some amazing statistics that will, that will change the way you see Christianity. They did a research project on, of all Christian behaviors, what results in the greatest statistical likelihood of spiritual transformation. Wouldn't that be an interesting study? And so they, they went through every form of Christian behavior, and they wanted to find out, you know, if you attend church like three times a week, will it make you more inclined to grow spiritually or not. And obviously, yeah, it does have a positive effect, but what of all these behaviors creates the the highest rate of spiritual transformation to the point where you could statistically predict it in a person's life, okay? And so they they wanted to quantify, you know, is it how many scripture verses do you need to memorize? Is it hours logged in prayer? Is it, you know, tears cried in worship? You know, if you could quantify that, you know what I'm saying? Like what behavior results in the greatest quantity of spiritual transformation. And you know what? what, There was one thing that topped the list. When they came out with the empirical data, there was one attribute that was the greatest statistical predictor of spiritual growth. And you know what it was? Quantity of intimate Christian friends. You can take two people, preach the same quantity of God's word at them, 
And the person who has more intimate Christian friends will be the person who's most statistically likely to apply God's word to their life. Think about that. In fact, they found, and they have empirical data that shows that people who had many intimate Christian friends had a higher probability of spiritual transformation. Number two, a higher likelihood of first-hand encounters with God. In other words, they experienced more miracles in their lives. Quantity of intimate friends is a statistical predictor of your experience of miracles. And number three, not surprisingly, people that had a higher quantity of Christian friends were much more satisfied with their churches. Okay? Now, let me just stop there. The number one statistical cause of spiritual transformation is quantity of intimate Christian friends. Wow. It changes things. More than church services attended, more than Bible verses memorized, more than any other spiritual discipline, transformation equals intimate Christian friends. Right? It's just like James said. When, when righteous people come together, confess their sin, have honest prayer with one another, it is powerful and effective. And that's why the scriptures are constantly speaking about your friends, Proverbs 13, 20. If you walk with the wise, you will grow wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Or Proverbs 12, 26, a righteous man is cautious in friendship. You see, you have to guard your friends. You can't be hanging out with certain people uh, that are going to bring you down. So you're hanging. So you have Christian friends. Well, do you actually have good fellowship with them? Are you praying with one another? Do you have the ability to confess your sin? That's a whole different type of Christian friend. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't confess my sin to just any Christian friend. It takes a mature one, right? You see, number one cause of spiritual transformation quantity of intimate Christian friends. And so as a pastor, as a leader in the body of Christ, one of the greatest disservices that I could do to you is allow you to remain a spectator in a church service. So what? So you attend a church service. Big deal. That's like going to a Christian conference. You're exposing yourself to the word, but that doesn't necessitate that you're actually being transformed by it. Why? You've got to have the proper context to how you can apply God's word to your life. For most of you, knowledge is not your problem. If I, if I went through here and I had you say, what is your biggest major problems? And then I'd be like, okay, common sense answer. What do you think God would say to you right now? I bet you 80% of you would have brilliant answers. What you lacked, you lacked accountability to bear that out. You know you need to exercise. You know you need to pray more. You know you need to read God's word more. That's, why do we look for such complex answers? The problem is simple. We need accountability and friends who can help us bear that out. Does that make sense, everybody? You see, and, and, and really, that's what these connection groups are all about. If I could just even plug, I love what your pastor is doing because, again, you know, like you'll notice this big listing of connection groups. Right now, Next Level is launching, what, like 45 groups? Think about that. That's awesome. You guys are, this is the next level right here. Yeah, I mean, seriously, like, all these groups, they are designed to help you experience the power of agreement. And some of you, you know this is what you need. You're struggling with some closet sin and you're waiting for traction. Right here is the traction. And, and, and so, and don't get me wrong, godly friendships, they're not going to just instantaneously spin out of the first group you attend. You show up at a group, here I am, power of agreement, let's experience it. You know, it's not going to happen that way, you know, because let's face it. Divine chemistry can take time and it doesn't occur overnight, okay? And there's a little fill in the blank. Divine chemistry. And what do I mean by divine chemistry? You know how like you sometimes when you talk with people, there's like something, I can relate to that person. You know what I mean? And you feel like, gosh, we are on the same page spiritually. You know, you feel that with certain Christians. Other Christians, you don't necessarily feel that divine chemistry. I believe the Holy Spirit will lead you to certain people that he's calling you to fellowship with through divine chemistry. And for example, uh, like for those of you who are married, uh, you've, you've hung out with other married Christian couples and sometimes like there's been times where my wife will relate to uh, the wife of the couple we're hanging out with, but like, you know, you'll look at that guy, you guys, some of you guys, you know what I'm saying? And you're like, I cannot relate to you whatsoever, right? And of course, we'll go away that night hanging out. We just went out to a restaurant. And my wife is like, aren't they a wonderful couple? And I'm like, no, they are not. I will love them with the love of Jesus, but I just did not feel the chemistry. You know what I'm saying? There, there's, I believe that there's a Holy Spirit chemistry that God is calling us to have. And some of you, you felt it with some of the other people here at Next Level, but you don't really know them well enough. 
you've said to yourself, wow, they are a cool person. I need to hang out with them more. But because life can be busy, it can be consuming, your job can be busy, all of a sudden, fellowship got crowded out of your life. But you got to understand what's at stake here. You need friendships. It's the number one cause of spiritual growth. You need divine fellowship. And that's what these groups are all about. You can sign up online. Go just, in fact, I, I, I just, I, I challenge you, go online today and really search these out with your spouse or with your family and, and pick out groups that you feel like you could relate to and use these as a springboard. It's not necessarily going to happen with the first group you go to, but maybe the fourth group you go to, you're going to come into that person and you're going to be like, wow, divine chemistry right there. You see, and, and not only will this affect, you have to understand, this is not going to merely affect your spiritual health. When you lack intimate, supportive relationships, it's your physical health that's at stake as well. Coming from a family, uh, half my family is into the medical field. And so I, I'm, I've been diving into medical journals. And I'm kind of a geek and kind of a dork when it comes to that stuff. I love to read really boring books, if I could say it that way. And uh, I, I've been doing a lot of medical research on what, what, what are some of the ingredients? How does fellowship affect physical health? Listen to the stuff that I found. And I, I've got some of this stuff is going to sound so sensational that it might not even be true. But listen, I, I've got so many prestigious medical journals that will substantiate what I'm about to tell you. Uh, and so if you need any of those citations, come talk to me. But listen to this. One, one study found that socially isolated people are four times more susceptible to the common cold than those who have active social networks. If you are socially isolated, your physical health is at stake. Listen to this one. A lack of social relationships jeopardizes coronary health, your heart, to a degree that rivals cigarette smoking, high blood pressure, blood lipids, obesity, and a lack of physical activity. In other words, if you're socially isolated, you have the same life expectancy as a lifelong chain smoker. Think about that. That, that literally how many intimate friends you have will dramatically affect this. I mean, this is, this is radical stuff. And some of you are like, so Pastor Peter, are you saying that rather than working out, I, all I need is a couple more friends? Well, not exactly, okay? But uh, you get the idea. Listen to this. This one, this one blew my mind. The odds of surviving heart disease doubles based on quality of intimate, supportive friendships. The odds of surviving heart disease doubles. I found like numerous studies that would prove this. Think about that. If there was like some pill that came out today that would double your odds of surviving heart disease or cancer, this would be shouted from the rooftops. We'd give this person like Nobel Prizes or whatever prizes they give to people who create things like that. You know, I mean, this would be like on the front cover of Time magazine. The, the miracle drug has been found to, to, to stem some of the worst diseases on the earth. I mean, this would be shouted from the rooftops. Well, the truth is, there is something like that. But it's not quite as sexy. It's not quite as cool. It's get some more friends. You know what I mean? You see, and, and the reason why that's not so cool to us is because getting friends requires a lifestyle change. If we could just pop a pill and continue living the same lifestyle, oh, that'd be easy, right? Oh, but I actually have to change in order to be healthier? Hmm, I'm not looking for that. I was looking for a wonder drug, right? Listen to this. Your odds of surviving breast cancer doubles based on quantity of intimate, supportive friendships. You want to talk about a series called Act Now? Here's a reason, right? Social isolates are two to three times more likely to die prematurely than those with strong social ties. Think about it. Two to three times more likely to die prematurely. That's crazy. I mean, just based on friends. Okay, so we're not just talking about your spiritual health. We're talking about your very physical health. And so one of the worst things that I could do as a pastor and that Matt and some of the other staffers here could do as a pastor is allow you to think that you're experiencing God's best by being a spectator here at Next Level. It's not the truth. You need the power of agreement working in your life on a regular basis or you're not going to experience the higher level that God has for you. And, it kinda, and let me just end with one final story. As I was, a while back, I heard a, an amazing miracle story. It happened back in 1949. There was a woman in Jamaica by the name of Vita McKenzie who, uh, she had a total paralytic stroke. Uh, and in fact, it was so bad that, that when the family took her to the doctor, 
The doctors looked at her, and they're like, wow, she is totally gone. I mean, massive brain damage. In fact, because um, all of her major bodily functions were starting to shut down. Uh, all of her major organs were shutting down. They're like, you know what? There's nothing we can do at this point. You just take her home. She'll probably be dead within a couple hours. And so they were completely despairing. And so they brought her home to die. And they thought, what are we going to do? And, of course, Vita McKenzie's friends, they rose up and they're like, listen, you know, if the medical doctors can't do anything, well, we know someone who can do something, and his name is Jesus. And so listen to what they did. Her four friends, they didn't know what else to do. They threw her in a wheelbarrow with a bunch of blankets, and they brought her to church in a wheelbarrow. Okay, so could you imagine this? If, like, right now at church, somebody walked in the back with a wheelbarrow of a person who's in a total paralytic stroke. I, I mean, her eyes were rolled back in her head. Her tongue was hanging out of her mouth, drooling all over the place. I mean, she looked like she was dead. They brought her into this worship meeting and everybody's worshiping. And some people were like, what are you guys doing? And bringing her in in a wheelbarrow. And so, and of course it created quite a stir in the church, as you'd imagine. Of course, when the pastor saw Vita in this wheelbarrow, he had compassion because, you know, these people knew, the, the, the church knew this family. They knew she had young kids. And, and so this is a tragedy. And so he had, he had compassion on her and he thought, you know what, everybody, I want everybody to pray for Vita in this wheelbarrow right now. Let's unite our faith. Power of agreement, Matthew 18. So let's unite our faith around just for Vita that she would be miraculously healed. And so they started praying for her. And all of a sudden the pastor, he stood up with gusto and he said, In the name of Jesus Christ, Vita McKenzie, rise up and walk! Nothing happened. And it's kind of one of those awkward moments like, oh, you know, maybe you needed to say like abracadabra or something. I don't know. And you know, there was always that, there was probably that one person, see, I told you it was a stupid idea. And there was probably that visitor, man, these guys are a bunch of crazies. You know, like there was probably all that going on in the audience. And, and it was just that quiet, awkward moment. And then all of a sudden, V's eyes rolled forward in her head, pulls her tongue back, looks around like, where am I? She stretches. And immediately that whole place erupted with worship you've never heard before. I mean, it was supposedly, it was crazy. I wish I could have been there. And of course, she, she rose up 100% healed. But, but listen, the, the thing that was sensational about that story was not that she was healed. What, what, was, what struck me the most was this. Vita McKenzie's friends. I mean, seriously. Oh, to have friends like Vita McKenzie who throw my body, my comatose, lifeless body into a wheelbarrow to help me experience Christ. I mean, that is some radical friends. I mean, think about it. That took some guts. That took some friends who were willing to, to be a little bit weird. Friends who were willing to do something that was maybe socially unacceptable. And I mean, think about the, the guts that it took for her friends to throw her in a wheelbarrow. I mean, I just, that just, that stuns me. And, and so, but when I, when I think about that, when I heard that story, I thought, you know what? I need friends like that. Because that, in my mind, is what true church is all about. And, and really, as I leave you today, the thing that I want to challenge you with is this. And you can fill in the blank too, it's this. Do you have friends like that? Do you have friends like that, like Vita McKenzie? Do you have friends who would put you, your comatose, lifeless body in a wheelbarrow just to get you to experience Christ? Do you have friends to whom you could actually confess your deepest, darkest secrets to on a regular basis? Do you have friends who, who know your strengths and weaknesses so intimately that they know just even by how you, the look on your face, they know whether or not you're having a good or a bad day. Do you have friends like that who know you inside and out and love you just the same and pray for you regularly? Because frankly, if you cannot give me an affirmative yes, to those questions, then for all practical purposes, you are an unchurched person. You think you belong to a church, but really you're an isolated Christian living a lone ranger life. You're an attender of a church service. You're an attender of an impersonal Christian conference, yet you have not truly experienced what it means to be the church. You see, the, the, the church is not a service nor is it a worship experience, nor is it a Bible acquisition moment. 
church is a network of intimate Christian friendships. It's a network of intimate Christian friends. We talk about the blood of Christ. We sing songs about the blood of Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But listen, where does the blood of Jesus flow? It flows in the body of Christ. And who is the body of Christ? You are. Not a church service, not a program, not a corporate structure. It's friendships. It's a network of intimate friends. And if you do not have Christian friends, then frankly, I don't know if you've really got the blood of Christ that heals and makes you whole flowing in your life. You're lacking one of the most critical and essential components for true Christianity. And so, listen, as I end today, this is what I want you to do. Just close your eyes. And there are some of you here today where you're like, you know what? I don't even know about this whole Christianity thing, but I want more. Well, in a second, I just want to pray a prayer of of, of commitment to Christ. And if you want to accept Christ today, then I want to give you that opportunity. But the other thing is this. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you're asking the question, you know what? I don't even have friends like that. I don't even know if I'm truly churched. Well, right now, I believe that God is putting people on your mind, divine connections who he's calling you to fellowship with on a deeper basis. And for some of you, he's calling you to make the commitment to join not just one of these connection groups, but several of these connection groups as a starting point. And so if that's you, what I'm going to do is just, I'm going to pray a, a little, simple little repeat callback prayer. And if this is something you're interested in, I believe that if you pray this prayer right here today, no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been in Christ, the power of God is going to fall on this church right here and now. And if that's something you're interested in, just repeat this after me. Just say this. Say, Dear Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins and renew me for your purposes and provide me with the fellowship that will bring me to the place that I need to be. I ask you for this in your name. Amen. Peter, thank you so much. Can we thank them together? Thank you.